great harmonized guitar. I know, like, left and right. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you about panning. Dude, sick bass time. Yeah, I really like um, pick bass, like punk. Yeah. Nah, nah. I think the drums are like the unsung hero. Like the way the snare hits before the rest of the kit. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just really solid harmony on this song. It could be like a Mozart piano sonata. Right. <laughs> and that little. Yeah, yeah. That's classic mode. Mm-hmm. Also, like, there's something to be said about a chorus that everyone sings along, sings along to, but we don't quite know the words. <laughs> be all right. I think like that's like a sign right. of like, a po- right. popular song. That's funny. <laughs> I don't know the words, yeah. I kind of know, but it's like, when I when it, the song came out, I was just like, Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. You're so right. Wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, <laughs> I think, like, that's part of what's fun about the song. Yeah. And then when you when you peel back the lyrics, you're like, this is really positive. Like It is, yeah. <laughs> I think about this song when I'm in the middle of an hour-long Peloton session. <laughs> <laughs> this, this guitar solo here. This was like used as a very early like demo of Pro Tools because they were like, no way. yeah, yeah. It was like the demo track they'd play. It'd be like this guitar solo. I think to be like, look how much you can cut parts I and know. fly them over. You hear that crazy tambourine player? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of pizza and seven up. <laughs> Today we're gonna talk about one of my favorite songs from middle school. That is Jimmy World's classic and enduring smash hit entitled The Middle. It was released on November 5th, 2001, off their fourth album, which was entitled Bleed American. Because of September 11th, they changed the name of that album to yeah. Jimmy World. Um, although I don't really, I think the version that I bought like later was called Bleed American. No so I don't really know. Maybe it's a collector's item. Yeah, because I mean, back then, like they probably had those units physically. Yeah, they had a printed, ton ready like, to go. Yeah, you know, um, it was a number five hit in the U.S. and a top fifty song in many other countries, and it won the prestigious most played song on the radio in Canada award, oh, which wow. is super rare. Like, okay, th- I'm just gonna put give the audience like some some insider info. Canada has nationalistic radio laws, and I'm not like attacking them like they're Nazis or anything, right. but. I believe that 60 to 70% of the songs that you play on Canadian radio have to be by Canadian artists. Really? Which is, yeah, yeah. Which is really kind of a cool idea when you think about it. Like, sure, it's a little like... It's a lot of Sarah McLaughlin up yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, this a Creed. Oh, no, not oh, Creed. Wow, a Nickelback's Canadian. Nickelback. Oh, wow. Avril yes, Lavigne, right. yeah. Sum yeah, 41, yeah, yeah. XTC, wow. um, Rush, of course, the only band that ever mattered. Yeah. Um, but, it's, but it's crazy that Jimmy World, a band from, I believe, Phoenix... Arizona was the number one song in Canada. Although when you think about how like positive and optimistic Canadians are in popular culture, no wonder they would love this song. Yeah, of course it fits. It's it's definitely fitting the stereotype. (laughs) The middle was also hugely responsible for breaking down the doors of mainstream audiences for the forthcoming wave of emo. Hmm. I think this was one of the first popular, like top 40 huge hit songs by a group that, although this song I wouldn't really say is is true emo. That was certainly their career up until that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. The song was produced by the band along with Mark Trombino, who was like a big time pop punk emo producer. But 
got to give a special shout out to his donut shop, Donut Friend in LA. It's really good. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that that was his place. No Until shit. I was doing research in the song, I was like, I've been there. That was right by a hotel I stayed at, like no in shit. West so, like, Hollywood. He's like an owner now. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He owns Donut Shop. He's also like a still a producer, but Donut you know, Shop you, makes the money. You got to diversify. <laughs> <laughs> Essential services. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um. It's pretty crazy because Jimmy World had put out three albums that were like critically acclaimed at this point, yeah, but are not popular. You know, they sort of yeah. had like I believe they had a top one hundred single with the song "Lucky Denver Mint." Okay, um, but this was obviously what broke them through the mainstream. But they had been dropped by the record label right before, mm. and the band bet on themselves and self funded the recording of this album. No shit. And because of that, they cashed the fuck in. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it was like they made a ton of money off this record, and then they signed a huge deal with DreamWorks that I think continues to this day. Maybe I don't know if DreamWorks is still around. I know they make movies. I mean, DreamWorks they've probably been like absorbed by like Disney or yeah, something. Yeah. You know. Well, they made Shrek. Wow. They made Shrek and they helped Jimmy World make that Futures album. That's a really right, good one right, too. Right, 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 right. <laughs> wow, Shrek. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Example? Example? Okay. Um, ogres are like onions. They stink? Yes. No. Of the direction of the song, primary songwriter and lead singer Jim Atkins, he of the Jimmy right, and Jimmy course, World, <laughs> said, quote, Rather than challenging ourselves by getting real experimental, we kind of went in the other direction, challenging ourselves by getting simple. Right. I, I fucking love this concept That's for cool. like how to make music or, or really anything like, you know, and I like I, along with probably a billion other people struggle with issues of balance all the time. Mm -hmm. And like the idea that you can just like, it still is hard to be simple and you should go for it in a musical sense or even in like a personal sense yeah. is, is really positive. Um, the first question I want to ask you about this song is, it, it, could you explain to me, I sort of know, but could you explain to other people who maybe know even less than me if possible about guitar panning? Guitar panning is where you draw the lines in the battle of like guitar <laughs> tones. Yeah. There's like three, there's two schools of thought when it comes to like panning and this is more. Ten, this tends to be more of an old school battle. Yeah, yeah. Like when it was like guys mixing on recording consoles and guys that had transitioned to the computer, of panning either all the way hard left, all the way hard right, or down yeah. the center. That was one thought. Or the second thought was you could hit the spaces in between. Mm -hmm. Forty-five degree angles. Sounds much harder. Degrees. It's harder, yeah. and it does something different to the sound. Mm -hmm. This song implements the guitar's super heavy left and right. Yeah, which I think like is kind of like indicative of this style of music. Agree. And even this era, the 2001 kind of guitar sound is like, and like when you're panned hard left and right, it just sounds like fucking massive. It's huge. Yeah. You know, it's like, it is the most extreme wave of sound coming yeah. from the sides of the speakers. And today, most rock music and most heavy like rock and roll guitar music, hard left, hard right. Absolutely. What what do you think like these decisions are made like consciously by the band or by the person who's recording it or is it kind of more in the mix process when you start de delving into like, guitar panning? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I know it's like there's no like tr like hard and fast rule. Yeah. And in fact, like I would I would just venture to guess like in this kind of recording the producer was probably like let's hard pan the guitars. Like that all yeah. usually works. What's also interesting in music like this like Especially 
music like this made today, rock music, is the guy that's producing it is also recording it, also mixing yeah, it, yeah. sometimes also mastering mm-hmm. it. He's deep. He's kind of doing it all <laughs> at once. Yeah, yeah. And so it's probably him just making the, he's probably mixing as they record, which is a very modern style of working. Yeah. Like you used to be able to do that back in the tape days where like, you know, you'd have these giant recording consoles, mm-hmm. right? And then you'd have like little the little faders and the big faders. Yeah. The little faders were your microphones and the big faders were your mix. And you would be mixing the song as you recorded. And it's kind of the same thing with like how modern music's made today, especially with the advent of the technology is the processes have kind of skewed and recording, mixing and mastering has kind of been un- umbrellaed under one process where before it was very distinctly different. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of and sense. And done by different people. Yeah, it's like as, in, you know, not to get too crazy into it, but as as the music industry makes less and less money yeah. for, for, you know, not for Ed Sheeran, but for right, virtually right. everyone else, yeah. as they make less and less money, like people have to do more in less time. Definitely. So like that kind of makes sense. Um, it's cool. Like, I wonder, this is a song that like does sound like it could have just been written on an acoustic guitar and everyone would know its potential. Yeah. But the choices that they made in the recording of it really helped bring a lot of it to life. Like yeah. it helps like separate it from, you know, generic pop rock song in 2000, 2001. Yeah. Well, the panning, I think the the key with this song is the panning. Because yeah. not only the guitars are super wide and all the other musical elements, but also like the where they place the drums. Like to me, like the drums have impact, but yeah. they're not over the top. It's no, not no, no, blocking no. anything. No, absolutely not. There's a clear space for everything, everything. that needs its space. Exactly. It's really cool. I was going to ask you about the vocals too. Like, how and this is in a this is probably in terms of performance, but since I have like a brilliant mix engineer here, I might as well ask the question. Like, how does his voice sound so like urgent and aggressive, but at the same time like relaxed and like it's not doing too much? Right. In the mix? To me, so to me, it obviously sounds like doubled vocals. Mm-hmm. It's not like his single vocal. But what's also interesting is his doubled vocals. You know, sometimes when you would do double vocals, you pan them out. It would yeah. make it like super big. Super Billy Joel. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where in this instance, they're kept really tight and sometimes on top of each other. And when you do that, um, it does kind of create like this weird feeling because we're not used to hearing a person's voice yeah. like that. It's almost like when like artificial intelligence is getting big and mm-hmm. like robots of how like they're getting so <laughs> realistic got- <laughs> that they look... They they make you uncomfortable because your body can recognize that they're not. Yeah, yeah. It's Deep kind of fakes. The, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. So it's like this vocal style, this vocal mm-hmm. effect, give you this like, oh, it's relaxed but urgent. Yeah, and you can also like experiment by doing okay on this take, we're gonna sing it really aggressive, but on the mm-hmm. other take, we're gonna sing it really relaxed and slap them on top of each other and see what you get. Yeah, I think like uh, it, I mean, this could be something worth like, going into on our on our Patreon podcast, but. Mm-hmm. I do always wonder, like, I think when people conceptualize how a song is recorded, they just think of people playing in a room and that's like kind of how it sounds. Or like, it's like when somebody sings, it's like they think they just sing into a microphone and, and maybe you it. turn it up and you turn it down, but it's like mic placement, right. mic, mic characteristics. Right. Like, are you going to double track it? What's the background vocal? Right. It's like, what did you eat this morning? Yeah, there are all it these all fucking levels. Yeah. And it kind of contributes to like this magic, which is why like you can't really recreate any 
studio recording. Oh, it's a nightmare. Yeah, Anytime yeah. anyone... Because I bet you have to do it a lot because people are, are, like have a demo that they really yes. like and then they just want to do that again. It is the hardest yeah. thing to do is try to recreate what you did on a demo. Yeah, yeah. It is impossible. You you can't capture You just it. have to give up. Yeah. Um, just just to accept that. Yeah. That's why whenever you record, you record as if it's the real take. Oh, yeah. Because like I don't believe in demos. You yeah. know what I mean? Like what? Are you going to live your life? Like a demo, right? Like <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, just like two two final things about this song. Um, the way he pronounces the word "everything" is fucking yeah. genius. <laughs> everything. Yep. It's so fun. It sounds like the way Ludacris would say it. It's easier on the singing of the consonants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything. It's like yeah. that doesn't. That ain't, that's not gonna sound good. But he just knew. Um, man, I've seen Jimmy. Or this is all coming back to me now. I've seen Jimmy World live like four times. No shit. Um, usually like playing with another band. You yeah. know, like Angels and Airwaves or, nice, or yeah. Tay Mac Sunday. Right. And like this fucking dude, Jim Atkins. I feel for him because he does everything. Yeah. Like this band is a real band, and they're serious, and like they all contribute probably ways that I don't know. But every time I've seen them live. This dude takes all the guitar solos. He sings the high harmony <laughs> vocals, like which is so weird for a lead singer. I'm just like, oh, dude, you must be the best. Um, the last thing I just want to touch on is like this song is an enduring classic. It makes people feel good. Yeah. People get happy when they recognize that it's in a room with them. Yeah. And I think it can't really be overstated that it because this piece of music is is has a positive message that is like keep going, keep right. trying, like don't give up. Um, you're going to be fine. Whether or not that's true or not, that's a whole other discussion. Right, right. But I do think like that is probably why like the good vibes that come from this song help keep it in in our public consciousness. Especially in times of such negativity. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. And it's like, it's crazy. Like every time I hear this song, it just feels refreshing. And it's yeah. like, that's cool, man. They really fucking did it on that. Cashing in. Yeah. The middle, Jimmy Eat World. A lot of people um, abbreviate Jimmy Eat World as Jew. I don't I don't know I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs>